The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Dina Jones Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where each and every are sweating, working, and making the biggest effort you can possibly imagine to be your public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has its second meeting for the month of June tomorrow. If you're interested in buying and selling notes and mortgages, this is one that you are definitely going to want to attend because the main topic at 7.30 is Anatomy of a Note Deal with Bill Greismer, who was the guest here last week on Real Life Real Estate Investing. He's going to show you what it's like to be a relatively new note investor and buy notes here, uh, right here in the area, not way out in California or someplace. Uh, he's got no course to sell. He's just there to talk about what's happened with him, how he finds deals, how he's raising the money to buy them. Uh, going to tell a story about a deal that didn't turn out to be exactly what it looked like, which is fairly common there in the note business. And um, I think you'll just enjoy it if you are looking to get started in that business. The early meetings are uh, share a contractor for the active investors. Going to have a workshop just uh, to try and get a list of some of the really good contractors here in the greater Cincinnati area. Or if you're a newer investor, uh, the topic for newer investors is creative finance primer. So uh, you can get more information about that meeting at CincinnatiRia.com. That's Cincinnati R-E-I-A.com. Your first meeting is always free. You just need to go there and download a uh, guest pass. Uh, or if you're a member, go there and RSVP. Since we do serve dinner at 530 and need to know who all is coming. Uh, it is at the new location, by the way, which is the Holiday Inn out on Mulhauser Road, 5800 Mulhauser Road, near Ikea. No one knows where 5800 Mulhauser Road is, but everyone knows where Ikea is. That is our permanent new location. Uh, we are no longer at the old Ramada, so... Uh, just get used to it and get yourself out there for the meeting tomorrow night. Today is one of our X-Factor Investor shows. It feels like it's been a little while since we uh, did one of these, even though I had made a commitment to make it a monthly feature once you guys all said that you were really enjoying hearing from these 
uh, very advanced investors in different fields. And my guest today is a really special one. It's Bill Cook, who is uh, from the uh, uh, Atlanta area. However, he is not in Atlanta this year. He is touring the country in his motor home, taking a year and just sort of uh, discovering what's going on out in the world. Uh, he is an expert at creative deal structuring, and he has a really unusual way of finding deals that his competitors don't know anything else about, which is one of the things that we're going to talk about today. He is uh, well known around the country for his ability to put together deals that uh, work for the seller, work for the buyer, and often don't involve banks at all. Uh, joining us from, I don't know where you even are, Bill. I'm in Denver. You're in Denver right now. Cool. Okay. So you're making your way back this direction, I hope, since you're going to be. In, in fact, I, I'm about to say I leave on Sunday morning and I head to Ohio. So it'll be about a two and a half day trip. Okay. Okay. And then uh, right uh, at the 4th of July week on the third, you're going to be in Columbus speaking at the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs Meeting. That right. Saturday, you're doing something with uh, a small number of people who managed to move fast on this, and that is you are taking them door knocking. Correct. And then you're coming back to Columbus on the 14th to do an all-day creative finance seminar. And then you're in Cincinnati on the... Uh, I got to get out my calendar now on the for the for on the, the, on the 19th main meeting on the 19th and then creative finance seminar on the 21st and door knocking class on the 23rd. So uh, basically, it looks like you're spending the whole month. Yeah. Actually, that is the case. Again, I'm coming out in the motorhome, and that's why I'm in a motorhome. I get to stay. So instead of flying in and out, it's just a lot easier for me. Plus, I get to see a lot of things and talk to a lot of people that I normally wouldn't get a chance to do if I was in a hotel. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, now, Bill, you've been in real estate full-time since 96, right? You started doing real estate back in 96. You, at one point, uh, you had founded and were the owner for a long time of a group called the North Georgia Real Estate Investors Association. So you have a lot of experience sort of not just doing this, but also dealing with people who are newer than you are, <laughs> who maybe... And, and, and in fact, we only had one really speaker come in to speak to our group other than like a Pete Fortunato or a Dyke Spotiford, and that was you. And that was back in about 2004, 2005, something like that. I remember. Because I remember thinking, what in the world could be out in North Georgia? Like, are these, <laughs> are these people? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people asked that. That was funny. That little Rhea grew to like 2,400 people, yep. and no one could understand why. It was like it's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, and it was actually a very impressive uh, group size because uh, at the at that time, the Atlanta Rhea Group, the Georgia Rhea Group, was sort of the the dominant, overriding, like the biggest one in the whole country, and they they had, they had actually sucked up a lot of the investors out of Georgia. They were kind of a a, a local group that functioned like a state group, and um, I was really pleased and surprised to see how many how many folks you had there. Um, so let's let's talk about let's talk about how this real estate investing thing happened for you like what what attracted you to the business what did you do before that and what has kept you in all these years 
Okay, as far as let's go back up to the beginning, as far as when, when it's time for me to go to college, I had to put myself through. My parents weren't going to pay for me to go through college. And that said, I had to get a job to put myself through. And I did it by selling the lunchbox vacuums door to door. So I did that for five years until I graduated. And then I switched over to, um, um, when I was time to graduate, I got a job, a job offer from Procter and Gamble that was going to pay me like thirty-one or thirty-two thousand dollars a year, which back then was a good sum of money. But I was going to make about three times that much with Electrolux selling vacuum, so I just stayed with them. And then when I was thirty-five, Kim and I made the decision to move over and become real estate investors. And when I did that, it was I left Electrolux and then started knocking doors, but to find houses rather than to sell vacuums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I she must have liked it because it's 22 years I later. Like back- no, no. <laughs> I, I, as far, you mean as far as selling vacuums? No, I didn't do that. I just really wanted to go to college and I need to make a living. So those were the two big things. Yeah. So I, I did it because I had to. And people always think I like knocking on doors. So as a real estate investor, I've done it for 20 some odd years. And I can honestly say there's never been one time, not one day, I went out door knocking and thought, oh, boy, I get to go door knocking today. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. But it's one of those things that I had to do if I wanted to achieve my goals. Uh-huh. So it was one of those, you, you do it because you're, you're supposed to, you need to, you have to. But with every job any of us have, there are certain things about that job that we don't like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the real estate investor thing you liked, though. Oh, God, yes. I, I, everything about it. You know, selling vacuums was hard, but real estate investing, I had met over the years a number of men. Because back then, men were always at work. Because we're going back now to the early 80s. And to find a man at home was just odd, and it was strange. And they would have, you know, 10 rental properties or 20 rental properties or 8 rental properties. And their job was to take care of those rental properties, but they were home a lot. And that just fascinated me. And that's kind of when I was 24, 25 is when I thought, this is kind of what I want to do one day. Uh huh. Uh huh. And now, 22 years later, it's what you do. And in fact, it's done so well for you that you have been able to sort of just pick up and leave for a year, which I think is something a lot of folks would like to be able to do at the uh, pinnacle of their real estate career. We're going to talk more about that when we come back from this break. If you have questions for Bill Cook about his his life, his creative deals that he's made, his door knocking habit, Give us a call at 877-772-9658. That's 877-772-9658. Or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to our X-Factor investor, Bill Cook. And Bill, you have you have a name for what what I've been calling here on the show X-Factor Investors. And that is Inders. Can you can you explain your sort of philosophy about how people move to that point where they are quote Inders and what that means when they are? Sure, and I learned this from Jack Miller, so I'm sure as heck didn't make make this up or invent it. But um, he used to have three stages, and it was starters, estate builders, and Inders. And for a starter, that's someone like the first ten deals or learning how to spell real estate, what a contract is, that sort of thing. Then you have estate builders, and those are people that kind of get past flipping. Not, they don't quit flipping. It's just they also start 
buying rental property or they get into notes, the main thing is they start looking towards mailbox money versus flipping money. Because when you flip a house, you get one check, but that property will never make you money ever again. And so you look for things about when you get to your golden years, you want to have mailbox money coming in. And so as an estate builder, that is your goal. And then the final stage is ender, and that's kind of where Kim and I are now, where you have all your capital assets, where your capital assets are working for you versus you working for your capital assets. And that is what an ender is. And I heard a friend, I had a friend of mine named Reggie Loud that had a great quote. He said, when you say ender, all you're missing is the L, meaning <laughs> lender. So a lot of people, as they get in the back half of their years as investors, they become lenders. That's just what they do. And I heard you say that you had a note guy coming in, so there's both buying and selling notes. So you start moving more toward paper. Yeah, and you know, that's a this is a little bit of an aside, but I think that's a really good um, point. Every real estate investor I know that I would describe as late estate builder or ender, every one of them, without exception, owns notes. They either they either exactly. they either created them by by actually just lending somebody money or selling a house and carrying back financing, or they uh, bought them. Right? They trade they trade in notes all the time, and this didn't dawn on me until. I don't know, six or eight months ago, I was watching a panel discussion amongst some really successful, um, yeah, the kind of the kind of people who, if they decide to go to Europe for a month, they can do it and their business won't fall apart. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, every single one of them, at some point or another, mentioned that they had notes, and, and I thought, isn't that interesting? Let me think through everybody I know who's in that position, and they they all end up in notes. So. Uh, that's why we're doing such a, a push uh, here locally about getting people used to the idea of notes, because I didn't even hear that there was such a thing until I was probably 10 or 15 years into my real estate career. I knew there were th such things like a hard money lender and things like that, but it never occurred to me that that was its own business and not something that people just sort of did, you know, from time to time uh, as a matter of convenience. Well, let's take that a step further, because um, so when I was about 47, because I'm 58 now, but when, started when I was about 47, I spent a lot of time down in St. Pete. Uh, there's a place called, you know, Pete Fortunato's McDonald's, just one he goes <laughs> into all the time. But there were a lot of guys there who were, they were 15 to 20 years older than me. So they were, they were a generation ahead of me. And they were all enders. And I asked them three questions. What did you do right to become an ender? What did you do wrong? And what didn't you do that you wished you would have done? And so I spent a lot of time with those men, and they were, they were just – one of the things I noticed is at one point in time when they were estate builders, most of them had between 15 and 50 rental properties. And now they were all down to between 5 and 10 rental properties. So what happened? I mean, so they had lots, and now they had few, and the answer was they sold their rental houses, but they didn't sell, sell the cash. They sold with owner financing and carried back the note. So they went from toilets to interest. Mm -hmm. They went from the headaches just to receiving the paper. So I'm with you on this as far as as we get older, we want to be able to go to Europe. We want to go be able to go do things or get in a motorhome and travel around the country where your money still keeps coming in, but you don't have to worry about the leaky roof or the, or the faucet. So I'm, I'm very big on rental property because 
Tim and I just sold one of our houses yesterday on Tower Ridge Drive in Cartersville. And we sold it with owner financing. So we've gone from about 35 single families. We're now down to eight. I'm going to sell one more off this fall, so it'll be the seven. And that's where I'm going to stop. So the seven of the properties, I'm going to keep no matter what. They're the best of the best. But all but but all except for one of the properties that we sold, one I sold for cash because the guy insisted. But the rest of them we sold with owner financing. We turned to notes. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it, the, the checks come in and there you go. You know, I think a natural question that a lot of folks who own some rental properties and know what the what the financials on those actually are would be asking right now is how in the world do you live on seven rental properties? Okay, good, that, really good question. Now, number one is these are the best of the best properties I have. Number two is everything I have is paid for. So there's no mortgages anywhere. So you have that. The other thing is on the other properties I sold off, I turned them into notes, so I get monthly payments. So a good example is on Tower Ridge. We had bought that house, I think, for somewhere around 70000 back in 2007, and we sold it yesterday for $159.9, got $7,000 down, a note for $152.9, interest rate of around 5%, payments of eight fifteen a month for the next 30 years. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the, the capital asset went away. It's just I turned it from a rental property into a note that pays me. So when you have 30-some-odd things sent in your check every month, there's enough money to go around. And the other thing that i found that happens is, and Vita, you probably know this also, is as we get older, the shiny red thing that honks isn't that important to us as it used to be. You know, our time becomes more important. Travel becomes important. But stupid stuff is not that important. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, it's interesting as we've gone through the the X Factor investor interviews over the last uh, I guess you are the seventh one that we've talked to here. It's becoming clear that there's there's two kinds of really successful real estate investors that people really admire. And one of them is the the guys who have a big real estate business, you know, that have a, uh, a a business that buys and sells 15 properties a month. And we had, a, we had a, a gal on here a couple of months ago who she buys and rehabs and sells more than 20 houses a month, if you can imagine that. So huge machine. Wow. that's huge. Yeah, to, uh, you know, uh, needless to say, she's got, uh, her days are very busy. Um, has her own rentals as well, but but right now, while the turnkey rental market is very hot here in Ohio, she's uh, making that business into um, probably one of the larger turnkey rental providers in the United States. So that's one kind, and we've had several folks like that who they have a machine that buys and sells and buys and sells and buys and sells. The other kind is more like you, and you're not you're not apparently impressed with how many deals get done, but rather how much time do I have left over after I've done my deals? <laughs> and uh, also, you know, the creativity of the deals The you know, each, I think in your world, each property that you buy is a really different that the negotiation's different, the way the terms are set up are probably different. It's not a machine. Is that accurate? That, that would be very accurate. And, yeah, I, I see you're dead on. 
Yeah, and I, I, I'm, I'm torn between uh, who, who I want to be when I grow up. Like, I don't know. Can I help? Can I? I don't know what time the break is, but I, I have a story that will help. Yes, help, decide. help, help me, Bill. Help. Okay, okay. So here, here, here's what I'm looking at. When I in 1995, when Kim and I were just getting started as real estate investors, we also have a horse ranch. We trained horses, and I had a horse that threw me, and it broke me up real bad. And so I sat on the couch for about a month and a half. And at that point in time, I had three jobs. I sold electrics vacuums. I worked for Home Depot, and I trained horses. So when I'm laying on there on the couch, because those are three labored for income jobs, what happened to my income when I was laying there on the couch? It went to zero. I didn't make a dime. Now, let's fast forward to December 2017, and I had something called a pulmonary embolism that where blood clot went through my leg, heart, lungs, and I was on the couch for about a month. But because 22 years had passed, and I learned important lessons since the horse accident, because now my income came from notes and options and rental property, my income wasn't affected, not one iota. And the thing we need to remember is, when it comes to flipping, when you have a business, and you call it a business, and that's what it is. It's not investing, it's a business. Because when you're churning property, it's a business. But if you get hurt, if you get thrown from the proverbial horse and you're on the couch, can you still make the same money? And for me, I wanted my capital assets working for me, not me having to go work for the capital assets. So I think flipping is important because we got to eat. But at the same time, you've got to sacrifice and, then, and also invest your money toward rental houses and notes mm-hmm. and options. Mm-hmm. But Bill... Some of my guests here are, are netting a million dollars a year on their businesses. I mean, that's really attractive. And I will never, ever net a million dollars a year. They're going to make a lot more money than I am. But, you know, there's some people, and, and you're one of those people, you can spin a lot of plates, Dana. I mean, you're extremely talented as an investor. And going back to the old Evan Sullivan show, you have the ability to spin a lot of plates. You have radio shows. You have the RIAs. You write. You, you teach. You, you, you invest. I was never that guy. I was that guy who could spend one plate. I could do one deal at the most two deals a month, and then I was swamped. I was, I was overloaded. So you've got to also look at what you're capable of, what you're comfortable with, what you can do well. And some people spend a lot of plates and go out and make a million dollars a month, and that's exactly what they should go do. But there's some of us that are just you know, mom-and-pop investors, and we're not going to want to go do – 12 or 15 deals a month, we don't have the ability and we don't have the ability to spend that many plates. And so there's another way for us. And honestly, there's I'm... No, there's, no, there, there's, no, there's no the way. There's just a way. There is no the way. Honestly, the real reason I'm never going to create a business that flips 20 properties a month is because I don't want to do the things that that requires, which includes yeah. having a big old staff to manage and... Oh, employees. <laughs> yes, I used to have lots of, back in the day, back in 05 and 06, I had employees. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's there's basically, you know, in real estate, there's sort of a, a lid for every pot, you know, and if, if you want to go out and treat real estate like inventory and, and pay a lot of taxes and, you know, kill it for a few years and save up all your pennies and retire early that's great and if you want to be more creative and hands-on with your deals because that's the part of it that you enjoy and uh, build up passive assets that 
aren't going to be a million dollars a year, but they're also not going to be taxed at 50% of what you're making. Uh, there's something out there for you. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk more to Bill Cook about how he got where he is and what some of his habits and philosophies are. We're also going to take your calls at 877-772-9658. Or if you'd like to send an email, send it to askbina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Bill Cook about his life in real estate that has led him to the point where he can just get in an RV and start driving. I guess the, the number of people I hear that say that they're going to do that someday and they're going to you know, take their kids on a month-long trip around the United States and here you are going on a year-long trip around the United States... Um, a lot more people say it than actually end up doing it. So, congratulations! Actually, actually we're doing it for a bunch of years. Kim is at our horse ranch in Georgia right now, doing a yard sale today hmm. for the next five days, and she's getting rid of all of our stuff. The ranch is about to be sold. She's going to get in the RV with me, and this is where we're going to live for about the next five or ten years. Nice. This was the plan when we started investing was to travel, and this is how we like to travel. Uh huh. Uh huh. And as you travel, are you going to continue to invest either at home or in the places that you land? Um, as far as owning property, I only own property in a five-mile circle around the Cartersville, Georgia Walmart. So as far as my properties, my investment properties, I will continue buying there. Um, but when I'm on the road, like right now I'm in Denver, I was out door knocking with 30 or 40 people uh, this past Saturday. So when I come across a deal, I can structure it where I take an option back for part of the monthly or part of the upside, but have someone else own it. They get the tax benefits out of it. They're taking care of it. I just make sure the financing is in place, and then I have an option, and, and off I go. Let's, so the answer is both. Let's let's talk about this door-knocking thing, because every single question I have received so far at askvina at gmail.com has been about door-knocking. I've got three questions here <laughs> where people are, people are asking uh, are you are you door knocking properties of people that you already know are in foreclosure or have other problems? That's question number one. Wait, was it only or do I? Yeah, the question was: Is that I think the question is how is that how you are selecting people no, that, to that's go? One of the ways that that's, so since 1995, Kim and I every month in Georgia worked the foreclosures, but most of my time was spent Monday at 9 a.m. I knocked on the first door. But that was just me going around my five-mile circle, and I just went through the different neighborhoods. And when I saw a house that interests me, maybe high grass or a blue top in the roof or a boat in the driveway or for sale sign or for rent sign, whatever it was, I stopped and knocked on the door. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't in foreclosure. That was a little section of our business, but it was nowhere close to the main part of our business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second question from Christy is, if you go and knock on someone's door out of the blue, what is your expectation about what happens? Do you make an appointment and come back later? Do you make an appointment for a phone call? Or do you hope to make a deal right there on the porch? Okay, good question. A um, couple things will happen. Um, when I go out door knocking, and this is true whether I'm by myself or I've got 50 people standing in the yard behind me watching what I do, 8 out of 10 sellers will invite us in. 8 out of 10. That's an 80% success ratio getting me to the kitchen table. So if, some, if someone can come up with a way that works better or more effective, I'll do it. And number two is I make, when I'm working with a big group, 
between five and ten written offers a day when I'm by myself, usually 12 to 15 written offers a day. And so I'm making the offer right there on the spot. I, I'm not making an appointment. And, again, most homeowners, that if they have a for sale sign in the yard, will invite me in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I assume these are for sale by owner signs as opposed to like... Um... No, no. The real, real, realtor signs, FISBO signs, you name it, for rent signs, it doesn't matter. If someone has a house they don't want, they, they invite you in to talk to you about the house. Think of it this way. If you're driving down the road and you see a boat in the yard that has for sale on it, and if you stopped your car and got out and knocked on the door, and you not, what would happen? I mean, the owner comes to the door. You say, I'm interested in your boat. What would the owner do? He'd say, I'm interested in selling it. How much you want to pay me? <laughs> yeah, and they're going to walk outside, and they're going to talk to you, and they're going to say, hey, come up to my boat, and let me pull the cover back. And, yes, it has a good engine because they have something they don't want. They're going to go out of their way to get this boat out of the yard. Well, when a house is for sale, there's no different. There's no difference. It's the same thing, and that's what nobody gets. And the other thing is, so I, I sold electrical vacuums door-to-door for 18 years. My mother did it for 28 years. So I'm second generation. The way you're a second generation real estate investor, I was second generation electrolytes. But in 18 years, working all over the country, going to doors with a vacuum under my, under my arm, I only had seven doors stand in my face in 18 years. And nobody believes that. Hmm. But the reality is people are kind and they're nice and they'll help you. And they'll, they'll point things out to you. They, they, they couldn't be better. And I know what everybody thinks, and everybody's heard the stories, but they've never been out there. And I'm out there all the time. Again, if, if I'm making this up, I can't take out groups of 30, 40, 50 people. Because, I, again, we get door stand in my face. I was just – I just did this in Denver, in Colorado Springs, Los Angeles, uh, San Diego. Put me anywhere you want to go. There is no difference with people. They're just terrific. So your experience has, has been kind of the opposite of what everyone is afraid their experience is going to be. Because you realize why people don't do this. Oh, yeah. They're terrified. That would be a mild term for what most people would. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike, the engineer, is, is laughing because I, I don't think he can, he can picture just like walking up to somebody's door and knocking on it and saying, hey, uh, let's talk about your house for sale. Let me on in. And and did you ju- did you just tell me that you took 40 people with you? When you and, ju- when I was in Denver, when I was in Denver uh, this past Saturday, I think I had 30 or 40 people. When I was in Colorado Springs, it was 30. Before that, it was Las Vegas. I had 20. Los Angeles was 40 some odd. Carlsbad was 40 some odd. Hmm. So, I mean, I take people, I do a group up to about 50. And the reason why I stop at 50 is it takes so long for people in their cars to get pulled over to the road, to get out of the car, to get up to the house. It just takes too long. So a good example is last uh, two Saturdays ago, I was in Colorado Springs, and I took 30-some-odd people out door knocking, and we made eight written offers that day. And then on Monday, I took out David Tilney's son-in-law, and a girl named Lindsay, who I took out door knocking last year, it was just the two of us, you know, three of us in a car. And I made eight written offers before lunch because it's one car and I can move so much faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you know, we've got houses in Cincinnati that 50 people won't fit in. 
I'm just saying. <laughs> like I, I, I don't... Yes, they will. <laughs> oh, you'll find and, 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 and it makes it, it, it makes it turns it turns it into a story, and people love this. And that's what nobody gets. And again, let's switch it to a yard sale. Let's say we pull up at a yard sale, and there's 50 of us, and we get out of the car, and we're all walking down the driveway. What would be the homeowner's reaction? They're going to be thrilled. They're going to think, hey, the yard sale is about to come to an end. Y'all come up to the table. Make your offers. Buy my stuff. Let me be done. Interesting. Interesting. And they have the same reaction when you're standing on the porch with 50 people, huh? <laughs> we all want to buy well, they, your house. They kind of look at it. Well, but they're curious, right? What are y'all doing? So if I'm by myself, they, they don't think that because it's just by myself. But when I have bigger groups, they, they think we're either a religious group. I tell them that we're uh, the procrastinating Christmas carolers. We meant to be here on December 25th. We missed it, <laughs> and we start singing Christmas carols. So I, I just make up stuff as we go because everybody, they're looking at it, uh, you know, it just – anyway, I just I, – I make it fun as we go. But, again, the reason why I take groups of people out – because I, I know that I have a unique skill set. I've done this since I was 12 years old. And I want to pass this on because I'm 58, and I figure i got about 22 years left, and I want to pass this skill set on. But the main thing I want people to see is how great people are, that they'll come to the door. They'll tell you all about their neighborhood, what houses they're selling for, what houses are on the market or about to go on the market that no one knows about. And you cannot do that behind a computer screen. doesn't work. So when I go into a neighborhood, usually I don't know anything about the neighborhood. No one has told me anything about it. I don't even know the neighborhood we're going to go into as we drive into it. And by lunchtime, we know the cops. We know what the area is like. We know how many tenants are in properties. We know what people are paying for rent, schools, what the schools are like, what's the shopping like, what's going on in the area. And I did it by talking to people. And it's a hell of a lot more fun than going on Zillow or something. Excellent. We need to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to answer some more questions from listeners at askavina at gmail.com or at 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today, Bill Cook, who is doing a, a circuit through Ohio in July. And you can get more information at... Uh, uh, centralohioria.com if you're in the Columbus area or that's closer to you or at cincinnatiria.com if you're down here or that's closer to you it might be worth a day's drive or a few hours flight to come to these events seriously because Bill's only doing you know stuff this year and it's it's a very limited uh, set of cities that he's going to and so this would be a good one to come to uh, let's go to the phones and talk to Jim on line one from Sarasota. Jim, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. My good friends, this is Jim Willig calling from Sarasota. I know Bill and Vina very well. Hey, Jim. Nice to talk to you. you Bill's too. a great guy. I just want to let people know out there that Bill's techniques and stuff is outstanding. <laughs> now, while I don't do it as uh, while I don't do it as large a scale as he does. I do target certain smaller neighborhoods and things like that, and his stuff is great. He has been involved with my group down here in Sarasota, and we've been out several times door knocking with him, and his techniques and those type of uh, things that you're going to apply here are absolutely outstanding, and the people that are listening, take advantage of this. This is one of the best things I've ever been to. Wow. That's like, it's like, it's like you paid him to call, Bill. That's... That's... Yeah, but well, I have been to Sarasota. I've door knocked down there two or three, twice, I think. Um, 
So it, it Sarasota was fun. great because they pushed you up right on the beach. It was a wonderful stay and had a great time there. Yep, Jim has a good little group down there for sure. Great, great place to go yes, speak in the wintertime. We'd love to have you back, that's for sure. But just want to let everybody know that uh, Bill's stuff is outstanding. Truly, I've been to both Vena and Bill's stuff, honestly. It's both outstanding stuff. Some of the best stuff in the industry, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm not getting paid to say that. And I've seen hundreds of speakers. And I can say that to everybody out there. Check them out. It's definitely worth your time. Thank you for your call, hey, Jim. Hey, yeah, hey, hey, yeah, Jim, you brought this up, so I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. I love Vina's stuff. I've known her for a long time, probably 15, 20 years. You didn't ask me to do this, but I'm going to do this. I'm very particular on the teachers that I go to because I want teachers who have been there and done that, and they know what the hell they're talking about. And Vina does that. Again, she's second generation, and she she practices what she preaches. And when she doesn't like something, she thinks someone's full of hogwash, she's not politically correct, like our friend John Hires, not so anyway. <laughs> but she is great. But, you know, as far as the, the, the information she's passing on, and I said earlier, I only had one person come to my real estate investor group from outside my little circle and speak, and it was Vina. And she's fantastic. So I, I, I say the same thing Jim said. Go, come listen to Vina. She's great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, most of my listeners listen to me every week, so I think, I think they get the message, but I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> thanks for your call, Jim. And, uh, Bill, I've got a, a, a fairly complex question here that I think you're going to like. It's from Brandon. He says, um, I emailed you this past autumn expressing my strong preference and interest in learning more about private note investing. I have a few questions for Bill, wondering what advice he has for someone fairly new to note investing. Specifically, I've been doing a good job building my education and networking reach. Where I keep getting tripped up is on the funding side. I just rolled a 401k into a traditional IRA, and while the account is relatively small in terms of funds... I intend to convert it from a traditional to a Roth. I've hesitated transferring it to a self-directed since the IRA custodian fee structures are cost prohibitive. So I tend, intend to keep contributing to this account until it's big enough to invest in notes. It has been recommended to me that I consider brokering and collecting a 3 to 6% finder's fee in the process or to raise capital from other investors to fund deals with. But I'm being advised to proceed carefully on that because of SEC guidelines. So... We got, a, we got a new note buyer here who is apparently pretty educated about how the, how the stuff works, but he is stuck on the money part. What advice would you give him? Okay, a couple things. One is when it comes down to um, becoming a certified licensed investor, I'm the wrong guy. Okay, so whenever the government puts, says, hey, you got to do this, but there's a lot of rules, I'm not that guy. Um, number two is you're thinking that you have to keep contributing to your retirement account so you have enough money to invest with. One word for you, rats. Learn about rats because you can use just a few dollars to wrap bigger loans and still make just incredible yields so you can invest your account up. You don't have to keep contributing to it. Um, Also, you said something about going to a Roth, and I would tell you to look at the solo 401k. Because for a lot of reasons that we don't have time to get into here, if I'm going to invest with something, because I, again, I, I can't convert my Roth over to a solo 401k, but I have now, I'm in the process of opening up a solo 401k, and that's what I'll use to invest with. And as far as how to do it, there's two different, I, I would say if I'm starting with a small amount of money, 
I'm going to go out. I'm going to find people who need to borrow money. And let me give an example. This is this is real world going on right now. So there was someone who needed to borrow some money, and in his case, it was for commercial buildings. So it was a loan of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is not something I normally do. It's not the two fifty. It's commercial. Um, but anyway, I brought in. And I, in this account, I was using my HSA account, which had a grand total of about $600 in it, and he needed 250 So the way I structured this deal was I brought in a friend of mine named Dykes who put up 220000 and then he was in first position. And then another friend of mine named Glenn came in, and he put up $29,900 in. And so then I took $100 out of my Roth, wrapping the whole thing, and my $100 investment is making me about 350 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So you can invest up your account. I know that was a lot because I think your show is geared more toward newer people. But I want you to know, don't sit back on the sidelines thinking, and when I have $90,000 in this account, then I'll go make a loan on the house. You can start with 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. And and it's too much too fast. It's very common in this part of the world, and I assume all parts of the world, that people will uh they will go find the notes and they will negotiate the notes and they will you know figure out what they need to offer to get a good return and then someone else funds them and they split it it's yeah. not it's not a brokering situation it's i negotiated an 18% yield on a note so why don't you put the money in and you get 9% and i don't put any money in <laughs> i get i get the other half of the payments and uh you know the the kind of the kind of returns we're used to thinking about here in real estate are not the kind of returns that other people can get out in the world. Somebody somebody getting a nine percent or eight percent or seven percent or even six percent yield on a performing note that is so much better than they can do in CDs or bonds or that I think people get up in their own heads sometimes about well if somebody provides the money they're going to want all the return. And, and agreed. And I know in my case. I'm always going out to real estate investor meetings. So people always ask, do I still go to meetings? And the answer is all the time. And part of what I'm doing is I'm spending time with the gray hair and bald heads. So those are people my age that I like spending time with because we've, you know, I had a similar path. But the other thing, I'm finding people that need money for something, but I know other people who are investors who have money sitting, but they're not at the meeting. And so I'm the go-between. And again, using a wrap, I can put the deal together or we can split it. There's a lot you can do, but it really comes down to the person who finds the gold nugget. And whether I'm knocking on doors or I'm attending RIA meetings, I'm looking for the, the, the nugget that can, that can, because until, until someone shows up with a gold nugget, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. So I would tell this, I tell, I would tell this, this, this man, go find the nugget and then learn about wraps and learn about solo 401ks. And uh, Brandon, just, just to be real clear on what he's saying w-r-a-p rap he's saying he's saying do a rap which is w-r-a-p because it's you know it's uh it's unusual enough a term that i'm actually sitting there thinking brandon's thinking he's saying like let me tell you all the story about it you know like he's thinking rap not rap um, wait, 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 did you, did you just rap on the radio? Uh, yeah, probably going to get, probably going to get trouble for that actually on public radio. Um, so, so Bill, let's, um, 
Let's uh, let's we got we're down to like the last two or three minutes of the of the program here, and I'd love it if you could share, in your opinion, what habits or philosophies or just the way you have operated your life allowed you to go from working three jobs to being so financially self-sufficient that you could just get in an RV and drive around the country for five years in two decades. Most people don't do that in their whole lives and you've done it in two decades. So what is it about you that's different than, than other people? When I was 19, my mother brought me home a cassette tape. I was selling vacuums back then. I was having a really tough time and it was from Zig Ziglar. And on that tape, I heard him say, if you'll help enough other people get what they want, then you'll get what you want. And when I became a real estate investor, I switched that around a little bit to, as real estate investors, our job is not to buy, sell, or rent houses. Our job is to help people solve their real estate problems. So every day when I go out, I'm not going out to buy, sell, or rent houses. I'm finding people to help and problems to solve. That was the key. The other thing is, that goes hand in hand with that, is every week I made 25 written offers. I knocked on the first door Monday at 9 a.m., and my week didn't finish until I made my 25, 25th written offer. So when investors call me up and say, hey, I'm having trouble, I'm not making it, I only ask two questions. But in those two questions, it, some, it goes right to the heart of the problem. And the first question I ask is, I'll ask is, how many written offers have you made in the last 30 days? And the answer almost is always zero. And the second question I ask is, how many written offers have you made in the last year? And the answer is usually less than 10. So how can you not be out going out making written offers? How can you not be getting face-to-face with sellers? How can you not be out there making problems or solving problems and then expect to succeed? And when people need to know what question to ask a seller, Pete Fortunato's famous question is the, is the best way to start. And the question is, why are you selling such a nice house like this? And then shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Very good. Looking forward to going door knocking with you, Bill. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm sure. I, I, are you really? <laughs> I really am. I really am. You know I'm gonna make you go to the. You know I'm gonna make you go to the door. You know that, right? <laughs> oh wow. Okay then. I'm you up front. <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I will, I guess I will have to, I guess I will have to deal with that to get the uh, benefit of your uh, wisdom here. Um, again, folks who are interested in uh, checking that out, go to centralohioria.com if you're interested in the uh, July 3rd, sorry, July 7th door knocking uh, class. Go to cincinnatiria.com if you are interested in the July 23rd uh, door knocking class. And there's more information there, too, about Bill's all-day seminars that he's doing for those two groups. And, Bill, really appreciate you. Look forward to seeing you. Very, very short. I really appreciate all you do for real estate investors. You've done it for a long time. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.